Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you season two of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy to be back with you breaking down some football film, Logan. Um, Even if it is the, uh, what number are we on? Seventh straight loss for the Commanders? Is that it? Yeah, I, so. I mean, not great. It's it's getting harder and harder to watch uh, these games in review because I think we all know that there's going to be some pretty big changes coming up. But it is always I, I'm a football junkie. I can't help myself. So no doubt um, something that we should do on Thursday. This is always fun when we plan our future pods in the middle of, uh, of the current pod. But we should take a look. Ben Standing did a really nice list of some front office folks that are uh that are on the radar. And I think talking about organizational structure and and talking about some of those names is something that we can definitely try to hit on later this week. As for now, though, we do dive into the tape and that's going to put Sam Howell in focus. But before we, we get specific to this game, Logan, I think it'd be good to zoom out a little bit um, in, in looking at the comments and such of our instant reaction show. It does seem that uh, some folks, this is going to sound harsh, but some folks don't understand the time continuum. You don't understand uh, how time works and that as it goes, you get more data and more information and right. that should change how uh, you, you view things. And I will say that is something that different sectors of society value differently. Some people are like, once you have an opinion, you must stick to it despite all available information. Skip Bayless has made a career out of saying that LeBron James is just not that good at basketball. All right, man. Gotta do what you got to do. You know? Good for hey, it's been great for his wallet, um, his integrity, his uh, you know intelligent people thinking that he's actually intelligent and worth listening to. Maybe different story, but that dude has made a lot of money, so I guess good for him. I prefer people who are uh, willing to to take things as they come, willing to admit they don't necessarily know things along the way, and and then ultimately you know make decision when there's enough data and and still be willing to change if more data emerges that that pushes something different. That is very highfalutin language to say. We have been pretty consistent all year saying like, hey, Sam is here now, but there's a long way to go. We need to see more. 
after yeah. the game on Sunday, you were more definitive than I think you have been at any point where you're just like, hey, this kind of cements Sam Howell as a backup in my mind. Yeah. Why Why now for being that level of definitive? And, and how do you kind of explain your thought process throughout the year as an evaluator? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's this really interesting... It, talent evaluation is always interesting, you know, and I think it's it's really hard with the quarterback position specifically, and especially a young quarterback. And when you're looking at Sam, I think he does some stuff that's high, like high level. Like, and I think when you look early in the year, and we talked about this a lot, when he's hitting all these big time throws and he's elevating the offense and his ability to extend plays, and you're like, there is something here. <clears throat> there is a talent. There's an ability. There's a physical skill set that gets excited and the moment doesn't seem too big for him. And it seems like he's got it right. But you want to see how that goes, right? Because any, anytime you're doing statistics, the more data you can gather, the better, right? So earlier in the year, you're not playing against the best defenses of all time. You're kind of working through some, some stuff where he'd play a good defense. He'd look like he'd regressed and he'd come back the next week and play a little bit better. And then now I, I think, you know, I have a rule of thumb. Like, if you can get seven games of evaluation on a quarterback, like it takes it basically takes seven games for the defense to understand what a quarterback is. And I feel like kind of right around that seven game mark, like that's when Sam really started hitting the skids a little bit, having a really hard time in terms of what was going on. I go back to that Cowboys game. And I know statistically he was very productive, but I think you kind of felt that the moment was was starting to get too big for him. And then he goes on a little bit of a slide. I think you could even go back to the second New York Giants game, like just didn't really settle in. I'm trying to look up his stats right now for that game specifically. But um, then you get Miami, struggled again. He did some good things, but extending plays, working off schedule, you can't live in that. You can't live doing that. And then, you know, each going out to L.A., struggled there, right? The game against the 49ers, I think he struggled there again too. And it's the same kind of issues popping up. And so the more – and during this time period, I've watched more quarterbacks. I've watched Tua. I watch uh, Stafford. I watch, um, you know, Brock Purdy. And you see kind of how the, the, the throws that they are making, the tight windows that they're maximizing, the anticipation that they're using. And you're like, Sam does not do these things. Like, I don't want to say at all, but it's very, 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 very rare to see them. And those things, those skill sets are very hard to develop. And so when he's making the big time throws, when he's extending and, and making plays and that elevate the offense, you say, okay, you can live with that. <clears throat> but when that stops and when that dries up, you see what the offense and this team becomes. And that's just not a tenable solution long term. Because like, I think, you know, we mentioned uh, O'Connell, the kid in Las Vegas. Like he'll yeah. have games where you're like, wow, look at this big time throw. Look at this. And then he'll have games where he throws four picks. And I think it's emphatic that he's not a starter in the NFL. Like he's a good backup quarterback, right? He's not a guy you can build around. Browning in Cincinnati had three or four games where he looked amazing, then comes back to earth. Like that's that's the nature of a backup quarterback in the NFL is they can give you something high level for a short period of time. But when it gets tight, when when uh, when the situation gets hot, they don't have it. And I understand. I can hear everyone now. He's a young football player. But with the regime change imminent, they he has not shown you enough to be like, we can build around him the way that uh, Philadelphia built around Jalen Hurts, for example. And for I think sure. that that's the thing. That's what I come back to. It's like maybe if Ron was here for another year, you could say, okay, he can develop, he can grow. There's a staff that trusts and understand what he's doing, but that's not the case here. And I think they're gonna they're gonna make a decision um, 
again, for the franchise in terms of finding a guy that they believe they can handle the responsibilities of that position long-term. So a couple of different things. I think one, the most important thing you said there for like understanding purposes is what a backup is, which is not someone who can't play. Right. Like backup quarterbacks in the NFL are really good um, relative to guys who are like non-league players, right? Like occasionally you get a guy who comes in and you're like, that dude is not an NFL player. And it doesn't happen often at the quarterback position due to the nature of it. Like typically the starter plays the whole year. If you get one injury, okay. Sometimes you get down to the fourth guy and or third guy. And even then, like, you know, Tommy DeVito's fine for a couple of weeks. Right. Um, but eventually you're like, nope, that dude is not an NFL starter. Um, but every every, you know, two or three times a year, maybe you get a guy who gets called up and you're just like, Nope, not an NFL player. And that's when you see like the difference in that and a backup. Um Maybe the ultimate example of this, we were trying to think of this before the show, um, and we we threw out a bunch of different guys who were like kind of backups that have done, you know, if they play a whole season, like you can maybe win eight games with them even. Right. You know, Jameis Winston's kind of the high-end version of that where he has the 30 touchdown, 30 pick uh, year in Tampa, but then he has, a, he has a great fit with Sean Payton and they have a really great year in New Orleans. And, you know, could Sam be that? In the same way that like Baker's having a great right. year down in Tampa, but like still his great year is eight wins. The ultimate example to me, and I'm curious what you think of this, is Nick Foles. Like, Nick yeah. Foles won a Super Bowl, right. right? Nick Foles won a freaking Super Bowl because he got hot at the right time exactly, in the right system with the right guys around him. And so, yes, you can win with a quote-unquote backup quarterback, but then you see a couple of other teams try to build around Nick Foles, and it doesn't work, and he's out of the league. Right. Um, and so I think that's that's kind of what we're saying here is like, a true starting quarterback that you feel good about is a guy that will give you, uh, it's not It's not about how good is your good, it's about how consistently can you produce it. And I think where we are at right now with Sam Howell is we don't have a trust that week in, week out against any opponent, you can trust him. Right now, his performance is correlated to how good the defense he is playing against is. And if yep. it's a good defense, he's going to have a mediocre to bad performance. And if it's a bad defense, he can probably light him up for 300 yards. But that's not an NFL starter. Now, yeah. it's worth pointing out, Sam is young. He's 23. Um, this is his second system in two years, his first year in this system. Um, he works his butt off. He's got great character. Yeah. And I think those are the things that earlier in the year when we talk about why, I mean, I said on the radio multiple times, like I would bet on Sam Howell being the guy moving forward. Like I don't, yeah. I, I think that he's going to be the guy. And I think what happened was I looked at the character. I looked at the mental makeup. Me too. I looked at the maturity. I looked at the big time plays he made. And I go, that's stuff you can't coach. I think the other stuff, the timing, the rhythm, the footwork is stuff that you can coach. And while I, I still think that's true to an extent, it is really hard to get that stuff. Like it's kind of innate in a lot of levels. Um, and he, he just hasn't improved in those areas. So you're projecting saying the good is going to stay good. The bad is going to get better. And if the bad doesn't get better, well, that changes the projection. And now with yeah. a year's worth of starts under his belt, he got 17 the Dallas game last year, 16 this year, I think we're at a point where you go, okay, at the very least right now, this dude's a backup, someone who can play well on any given weekend, but is, is not to be trusted long-term. Um, but he's more than likely based off of who he's been his entire career, not just in the pros, but in college, what the, the scouting report is. Maybe this is confirmation bias, but the stuff that you had worries about the stuff that made him a fifth round pick and save your comments about how he was the number one guy before his, you know, his final right. year at Carolina, he was a fifth round pick. That's where the league said that he was. Anybody could have gotten him in the first four rounds. And 
you know, that stuff hasn't improved to a level to, to kind of change his long-term prognosis. I think he'd be a very good backup. Um, and I think that if we lived in an alternate universe where you could give him two years to continue to develop, could he be a, a starter, middle of the packs, you know, type of starter? Probably. But if you can go get Caleb Williams, Jalen Daniels, Drake May, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, whoever it is that you wind up liking at the number two pick or if you want to trade down, whatever, why would you wait on that? And that's kind of the way the league operates now. Yeah. I think Geno Smith is a perfect case study for that. You know, he came yeah. out, showed some ability early in his career, had to go to the bench. They drafted, I think, Mark Sanchez afterwards, right? Very high. And then, uh, or I whatever think the timelines are backwards on that. Yeah, yeah they, whatever. They, but they, they, they yeah. moved on, whatever it was. They moved on yeah. from him. He sits for a couple of years and gets an opportunity um, in Seattle. And I, and I definitely think that's in, that, that's on the table for him. But I think it just, again, the stuff that's very raw, was raw in college, is like the the anticipation, the accuracy, the um, again, the ability to operate in the timing of the offense is something else that shows up all the time with him. And the young quarterbacks have a hard time with it. And this is something that I think is 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 really an interesting thought experiment about like being able to sit a quarterback for a couple of years. Like I look at Mahomes and how successful he was. Like it's it's an important variable if you're gonna like develop that guy. Like you just need to give them time and opportunity. And obviously Sam didn't get that. And people can talk about. You know, is it fair? Is it fair that the situation Sam was put in? And it's not. But ultimately, like, this is how it goes. Like, I remember having a conversation with Rex Grossman about kind of how he stumbled early in his career. And then it took so long for him get, to get back to have the starting opportunity. And he's like, was it fair? No, but like, that's just how the league is. Like, you need some level of certainty. And you also need some level of investment from the organization. So I always think, like, if he was a first-round pick, maybe you sit with him, you say, okay, we got to make it work. Like we've made this investment in him kind of like they did with Dwayne, you know, like it was very clear early. Dwayne was struggling with some stuff, but he's a first round pick. So they gave him more opportunities. Same thing with Robert. Robert obviously had that tremendous year, but when the struggles came, they were invested in him. And I think being a fifth round pick, just they're not financially or there's no draft capital in him. So now the new franchise draft a guy and then you're tied to that guy for a couple of years and it might not be the right fit it might not be the right i'm not saying they're going to hit on the pick ideally you'd want that but it's just it's the logistics and the business side of the nfl i think at play here also in terms of sam and his development what he's shown this year because like earlier in the year like he was going to have to play very very well in order for them to kind of say oh we can build around him in 2024 but um and he showed flashes of that but i you know i'm just looking at this sheet here right like he played against Philly twice, and they're uh, you know they're struggling defensively. They've struggled the whole year. But the yeah. second you play the Bills, you play the Giants, and you play the Bears, like defenses that are a little bit more consistent. The Giants again, the Commanders, uh, the uh, excuse me, the the Cowboys, the Rams, the Jets, and the 49ers, He has a grade below fifty in all those games, all of them, right? And so it, to me, that makes a lot of sense that he's not again as much as the good was good. The bad was also very bad. And I think you kind of settle on this thing where he's kind of in the middle someplace. And that's kind of, uh, to your point, Craig, like it's not saying he's a bad football player. It's not saying he's a bad guy. It's not saying he doesn't have the the skills and the ability to do something special down the road, but he's not there right now. And the organization's not going to invest in it. And I think that's another thing fans need to understand. Like there's a lot of really good football players in the league who just didn't hit for him at the right time. And I think that's kind of what we're looking at with Sam, unfortunately for Sam. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really well put. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a young kid who's worked really hard, has been given a test that we have outlined um, ad nauseum, is way too hard for him to reasonably pass. 
he has continued to to be an amazing teammate throughout. I mean, I, that is one thing that I will say on the positive side for Sam is like his teammates love him. Yeah. And like the O-line, who he has made look bad at times and has taken a lot of heat because of the way he plays, loves that kid. And I think there's something to say for that, um, which what might be said is like, you can trust him to be your backup. He's not going to sabotage. He's not going to be a bad soldier in the, in the whatever. Like he's, he's someone you can trust and he's going to go out and support whoever is, is in the quarterback room with him next year. If that's Caleb Williams or Drake may or, or whoever. Um, and that's, that's great. That speaks highly of Sam as a, as a human being. Um, unfortunately it doesn't mean that he's the guy that you should build around at the same token. I will say this last thing real quick before we get into the, the actual tape from Sunday, if they decide they don't really like any of these quarterbacks, if, if the new regime gets in and goes, I just, we can't, we can't pass up on Olu Fashanu or Marvin Harrison or Joe Alt or whoever, because I think that guy's going, the non quarterback is going to go to the hall of fame. And I don't think this, this guy we're going to draft is going to be any better than Sam Howell. You could start with Sam Howell and right. not be dead in the water. Like you can have the bridge guy, uh, like other organizations have done, and and hope that you know you build up a good enough roster. And this is again a project we're going to embark on this off season. Is like look at how some of the best organizations have built it, and you could probably be somewhat competitive next year, um, depending on how good your coaching is and a bunch of and how well you do in the rest of the draft and free agency and all of that. Um, but well, you, if, if you're talking about like a viable chance to build a long-term contender, which is Josh Harris's stated goal, like you're eventually going to need to do something about the position. Well, also, I just think it's, it goes back to this conversation we've had at nauseum. And I, like, you know, when Jared Goff left LA, I think a lot of people thought he was cooked and he was the bridge guy, but he got in a system with a coordinator with skill position guys and an offensive line and a defense that elevated him. And I think like there are, there is a world, there is a situation where you say, Hey, we get, I don't know, we get a left tackle, you know, we're able to move or a right tackle, we're able to move Wiley in the guard. And all of a sudden the offensive line looks really dynamic. You get guys who are competitive and physical at three or four spots or three or five spots. And you say, oh, well, we can draft a receiver in the second round. we got two second round picks and you kind of build that up. You say, oh, we get a corner in the second round with that second pick. And you're like, okay, all of a sudden there's something going on here that you feel pretty good about. And I you again fill I go, out a lot of stuff with your eighty million dollars of cap space. Right. You you go find you go sign a pass rusher that you feel good about, right? And and I look at Philly and when when again Jalen Hurts was there, or I look at San Francisco when Brock Purdy came in, like they were system quarterbacks that everyone thought was going to be a bridge, but the system and the personnel around them elevated. And it allowed them, like I think Joe Flacco is another great example of this. Shoot, Russell Wilson's a great example of this. Yeah. Great defense, great rushing attacks. It lets you sit and kind of chill for a year or two as a quarterback. And then all yeah. of a sudden the paradigm shifts at the position and you say, oh, like he's developed, he's grown up. He's all the stuff we talked about in the take five in terms of adding information to the CPU. Instead of doing it 50 times every game over the course of like your rookie season, essentially, it's like we've brought that way down. We're going to let you learn and let you develop and then once you're kind of more established, like look at Brock Purdy last year to this year. Last year, definitively a system quarterback. This year, elevating that offense. And I think there that is something that can def like I, I think can definitely happen with Sam. I think it happened with a lot of guys. Yeah, but that's the best just, case scenario. It takes a lot. It takes a, it's gonna take a lot. And you so what did we just talk about there? 
getting more play, more playmakers, getting a better, a, a more, I don't want to say a better system because I think this system's fine. I think EB is a smart guy, but something that again is going to deleverage him, improving the defense. Like it just becomes a little bit more complicated as opposed to finding Joe Burrow where you have maybe the worst O-line in football as a rookie, but you get uh, the chase in his second year, Jamar Chase in his second year, and all of a sudden it's one of the most explosive offenses in football. Like that's the the stepping stones there are much shorter and it's much more direct. I think it's harder to find that one guy. But again, that's kind of what we're talking about here from a team building standpoint. So I think you bring up a great point. Like maybe, maybe the kid, Drake May, is not the guy. Maybe they don't love him. Maybe he botches an interview. Maybe whatever. It's it's not good. And they can't trade up to get the number one pick and because Caleb Williams is their guy. Take an offensive lineman. Maybe you take a quarterback in the second round. Whatever it is. But yeah. there are many ways to build this team. And I think this is, a in some ways, an endorsement of Sam. I think he's talented enough to do some of the things we're talking about in terms of being this bridge guy that could develop. But there's a lot of pieces that need to fall in place in order for that to happen. Yeah, there. I think what we can definitively say after watching this game and kind of the you know watching the entire season is like that's that's the best case scenario for him. Um, this is not someone where you walk into the offseason going we're set at quarterback, and that's right. kind of I think what we mean by cemented as a backup or a bridge guy or whatever whatever term you want to use for that. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Take a Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. That's Logan Paulson. I am Craig Hoffman. Uh, we are doing the Take a Man pregame show one more time. It will be at one o'clock on Sunday, thanks to the four twenty-five start. Uh, that nice. is four twenty-five on Fox on your television. Uh, I'd imagine they'll get the A crew. By the way, uh, poor poor Kevin Burkhardt and Greg Olson are going to have to make a trip to Washington uh, to FedEx because because they're it's the Cowboys and the NFC yeah. East is on the line. You know Fox right. is sending those guys. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're probably right. Uh, but anyway, we'll be on your radio while they're on your TV. Uh, One o'clock is when the Take Command pregame show will start on Sunday. Uh, you can check us out live at Tap Sports Bar, uh, which also means Logan, we get to watch all the one o'clock games uh, as we as we broadcast. We get to be incredibly distracted, which is very very fun. All right, uh, let's yeah, get into the take. Always, that makes it better. It does make it better. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, it, it's a longer day, but at least we get to watch a ton of football. All right. Let's get into the tape from Sunday. Uh, Commanders obviously lose the game uh, to the San Francisco 49ers. Um, it is a game where they were very competitive for three quarters. Uh, the doors kind of come off uh, in the fourth. Sam throws two picks. Um, and can we start with actually the first pick? I, there's obviously a lot more to talk yeah. about. Um, but I think that play is so fascinating because when we talk about play calling and 
you know, your pre-snap stuff and kind of understanding what needs to happen. One of the things that I said on Sunday, which I, I still agree with, I agree with past me, is like, I at least like compared to what he had been doing the previous three weeks, his three worst games of the season, that he hit it, he knew there was, you know, cover zero coming, he hit his back foot and he got that ball out. But there's not really a good place for him to go with the football. And I just kind of wonder too, from like a play calling or a, an ability to audible, an ability to read pre-snap and realize you probably should go to something else. Like, what do you make of the call, the decision, the process, how it all comes together? Because I think that could be a really illustrative play of kind of where Sam is and, and where this offense is and how it all fits together. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting play. Because I think when you first turn it on, you're kind of like, man, there's not a lot of opportunity. They're basically running like what I would call a flag or version of flag. So they're running like a like a five yard out by Terry that's coming back to the ball, like a swirl, maybe um, some people call it a squirrel, whatever you want to call it. And then you got a corner by the tight end. So a high, low concept, which is good for versus cover two. And then on the backside, you basically got like some version of Skinner or all go where you get like a, a guy coming across and then guy run like a skinny post basically. And so initially when you watch the play, you're like, like this is tough because they're bringing double a gap pressure. It ends up being like essentially a zero look They're manned up across the back end. And, um, and I don't, I don't hate the decision by Sam to throw the ball to Terry, but it doesn't look like Terry and he are on the same page or the ball placement isn't exactly right. Like if you're going to do that, let's get the ball a little bit farther outside. But then I think back to, again, when you watch a lot of quarterback plays, you get a lot of opportunity to watch some really good players. And so Matt Stafford, I think they were playing Baltimore and it's zero and he knows it's zero. And so you see him take a deeper drop. He feathers back and throws the corner in this look. It's not exactly the same route distribution, but throws basically throws the ball to the back pylon and just says, my guy's going to run under it and catch it or no one's going to catch it. And he throws it to Cooper Cup for a touchdown. And I think like that to me is when we talk about adding stuff to the CPU is stuff that Matt Stafford has learned over a 15 year career. And he's extremely physically talented and he can make that throw. That to me kind of encapsulates kind of what we're talking about. It's like, yeah, like you, you understand the basics. The ball needs to get out, right? This is the route. This is probably my most likely hot throw, but right. it's man. I'm going to throw to Terry. Right. But I think understanding kind of the concept, how I can help the help, help mitigate the rush by feathering away from where I'm weak in the protection. Um, I think is, is that kind of the next step stuff that a guy, a guy like Joe Flacco didn't really have to do a ton of when he was a rookie with the Ravens because they ran the ball 30 times a game, right? Like they, nice. they deleveraged him in that way. And so I think like when I look at that play, I think that's kind of like what one element of what we're talking about. It's, it's not the, the arm talent. It's not the release. It's not even the understanding. It's just that next level of, of, of football that takes that from an interception. Like even if he puts that ball out to the sideline to Terry, like I'm okay with that too. Cause you're understanding like where, where the DBs leverage on the receiver, where my receiver has the advantage. If it's incomplete, it's okay, man. It's third and eight. We'll kick a field goal. And instead you get, you turn it over there to an offense um, that's playing really good football and playing very consistent football in the 49ers. And you, you know, you're probably not, not going to get the ball back. So to me, that's kind of what I took from that is like lose a little bit of ground, do that classic Patrick Holmes backpedal away, put that sucker up with a high arc before the guy's even out. And hopefully Logan Thomas can make a play for you. And I think, again, I think that kind of, again, encapsulates what's some of the issues with Sam. And so does the second pick, quite frankly. Yeah. Well, just real quickly on that first one, like, 
is that also a scenario where a veteran quarterback just gets out of the play and it's like, I need to get myself a hot. I need to tell, instead of having my running back stay in, like I'm just going to send him to the flat and I'm going to flare this ball out and hope he can make a play. But at the very least I have something quick because the play itself is very long developing. You have a multi-point route, if you yes. will, with Terry, like even your shorter route, Terry's got to go out then in right. everything else is vertical down the field. So that's a pretty rough call against zero. Um, and whether that's EB should have called something different or and not like, this is not me being critical. I'm genuinely asking, yeah. or is it something where Sam should be able to see that? And, and does he have the power to audible out of that? Or is the play fine as is assuming it's zero when, when snapped and the only, so and the correct solution is to just give your guy a shot on the corner. I mean, I think that uh, it'd be interesting to see how they coach it for sure. And I think one of the things is people have this this understanding or this perception that quarterbacks, all quarterbacks kind of do whatever they want at the line of scrimmage. Right. That's not, not the case, right? So unless you've got that called, unless you've alerted that, I guess maybe is the way I'd say it, unless you've, you've discussed what your zero solution is in the week, I, he's not going to go up there and just be like, oh, hey, I no, I don't like this. Let's run slants or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, so... I think that's maybe something to look at from like an offensive coordinator. And I got, that's, that's how I try to look at that play is what are his answers versus zero. And to me, it's the corner. And is that a high percentage throw? If you're Sam, if you're Matt Stafford, yeah, it is a pretty high percentage throw because he hits it every single week. Right. And that's why people don't do zero that much against him because he's a baller. <laughs> right? right. But if you're, if you're Sam, if you're Sam, is that a high percentage throw? And could I give him more opportunity to kind of, Again, do the stuff you're talking about. Maybe we check to a screen. Maybe we check to something else, right? Maybe we check to a 70 protection where the tight end stays in and we're good and Terry really runs a true isolation route. Like, again, like that's hard stuff to do. It has to be done in the week. Um, and it's kind of something we've talked about before. Is is Sam ready for that? Is, is EB just feeling like you should be able to hit this corner because Patrick Mahomes can hit the corner? Like those are the types of questions that – come up in that play and again sometimes the defense just gets you quite honestly like you you they've been pretty consistent about running this tampa two coverage in the red zone that backside uh two-man post would absolutely murder that but they don't right they run right. cover zero and you're in a bad spot and i and I, i've been on offenses where that's happened and the coach comes in the meeting and says that's on me it's a bad play call right but yeah i look at sam and i say well, we're talking about sam's development here and i say if I'm a coach, I'm assuming that that corner is the hot option there. Um, you know, if I were, if I was putting money on it, but yeah. again, like I'm not in the room, I'm not in the install. So I don't know for sure. Gotcha. All right. Overall, big picture thoughts on Sam had performance over the course of the game. Yeah. I mean, I think, so I think that people come out of this and say, Oh, well, look, he hits this explosive to Terry. He throws a touchdown to Terry. And I get that. I understand. Like I was excited about it too, but and, and again, like, let's talk about the first completion of Terry because I think there's a lot of value there, right? He gets the line of scrimmage. He checks the play. It's three by one. Great job formationing at EB to get Terry as kind of your man-beating person in this look, right? Good job. Excellent job across the board. Sam gets it. They bring a little bit of pressure. He is very composed, puts a beautiful ball out there. Great job. Love that. Love that he checked to it. Love that he identified man. Love that he found his best matchup. Love that the formation is positioned in a way where Terry's going to run that man-beating route. Great job. However, man coverages in the NFL on that concept, like people should be able to make that throw, I think is my, is my thought. And Sam has shown an ability over the course of the year to make that throw. 
the thing that Sam struggles with is when it's zone coverages, it's this weird amorphous match coverage, and I have to read something out or I have to manipulate a hook player with my eyes and hit the dig or hit the sit. Like that's where Sam has struggled. Like he's been excellent with the quick game. He's been excellent with the shot plays for the most part, right? It's the it's the kind of the middle of the field minutia quarterback play that's been very challenging. And again, we can talk about whether that's fair or not to put that all on, on his plate, but that's where he struggled. So when Sam hits that throw, I'm like, I have every expectation that Sam and 32 other quarterbacks in the NFL make that throw, quite honestly. Like that's just how I feel about the play. It's a great play, but I that's playing quarterback in the NFL. The throw to Terry in the end zone. I love it, right? They're playing this kind of, um, it's like a, lurk coverage the safety's pushing to the three to the three by one they move the back across the formation and across protection so everybody's over there terry's by himself and a one-on-one love the back shoulder love that that's completed again that's my expectation is that most quarterbacks in the nfl make that throw and terry makes a play for you so i like i don't want to take like diminish how good that play well, was. i think that's i think that's good to show because a couple like for the previous three weeks he wasn't even doing that correct and so like when we talk about is he cooked like, nah, he's still he's still kicking. Yeah. No, no, and I think that's that's right. It's good stuff, right? It's it's that's good. But again, in terms of like saying, Oh, this shows that Sam deserves to be starting in the NFL. Right. Not I'm not on that boat, right? And so then you get to like the the second interception. And this is again where it's like it's not all on Sam. And I want to make that very clear. Like you just said, not sure about the we're not both of us, we're not sure about the play call in the red zone. Because we don't, we're not in the meeting. We don't know what the answers are. Sam might have messed it up. Like I had a conversation with Ron a couple of weeks ago about something, and they were just saying, "Oh, like yeah, we didn't check to the right thing." And I was just like, "Oh my gosh, we were like cooking this guy because of this thing we thought, and then it actually turns out that they wanted to do that thing, but we just didn't get the check called, or the the guy didn't hear the check." And I was just like, "That's kind of the minutia of playing football." So that play, there might have been answers. Right. Sam and I got to it. Whatever it is. But then there's this, the, the second interception, like Jahan, our guy has been, I think had a pretty solid game to this point. They're running um, what I call attack or what Kyle calls attack, which is basically four 10 yard stops. And it's a really good play because if it's zone, you can kind of manipulate hook players and get the ball where you need to get it. It looks like it's man coverage. I'm going to work the isolation route with Jahan. Jahan does a pretty good job on the release on the comeback or the, you know, the coming back to the quarterback part, the guy grabs him, Sam pulls the ball down and then tries to work back to Curtis super late in the down, and there's an interception. And I look at that and I say, probably a more experienced quarterback throws that ball anyway and draws the PI, right? Because it's all tangled up. And I also think you got to understand that like, I can't work. So basically, Jahan's on the left. Titan's over the ball. Curtis is on the far side. I can't work. Uh, It was Pringle. Pringle, not Curtis, but. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Pringle. I can't work all the way back to that player. It's not going to time up effectively. And so, again, I think Jahan could have been better there. I think a more experienced player just lets that ball rip, even if it's out of bounds, just to draw the PI. Because you see quarterbacks do that all the time. And then I think understanding that I can't be that late back to that and I got to find the back and the check down is probably, again, it just shows where he's at in terms of that minutia quarterback stuff. And, again, he looks a little bit overwhelmed at times. And it is it entirely his fault? Let me just say this again for people at home who are listening. No. There's a lot of things going into this, but like 
ultimately he throws a pick on doing something he shouldn't do. And I think that kind of shows his game a little bit, right? There's the, he has another nice completion of Curtis uh, Samuel on like a corner route. Love how he's kind of layered in there. Um, but yeah, th- that, th- that's kind of his game to me in a nutshell. It's two plays where it's like, could it, could it have been more supported? Probably. But the two throws he does make are throws I expect him to make. So yeah, I don't know. That, that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. I mean, by the way, that's also for those listening in the car or wherever else you're listening, not just those listening at home. That, that, that was a lesson for everybody. Um, you, you said, you said people listening at home and now, no, you're Oh yeah. Everybody cars. Yeah. Cars. Yeah, the whole just, thing. I'm trying to be inclusive, Logan. Trying yeah, to bring no, some levity. You. That to makes sense. Show. That makes sense. Yeah. Maybe that was a poor decision by me. Anyway, no, the I was point I, is, sorry. My phone's blowing up right now for some reason. So I had to put it on. Nah, focus nothing, mode. nothing, nothing major happened, did it? Like, no, no, not, no. It's just we don't, we don't have any breaking news in the middle of the podcast. No, just from my other show. Everyone wants to give everyone feedback wants. on that show, so we're gonna yeah. we're gonna wait on that. Yeah. All right, we're uh, tough <laughs> tough for them. You're doing this show now, um, and there's your levity. Yeah. Point is, um, yeah, Sam's. Sam's got to continue to grow if he's going to be a successful player in this league and and you can kind of see it in this game. But you, I think most importantly, you see like for him long-term, like you see that he's not ruined forever. Like he came back, he looked, he looked from a demeanor standpoint, a confidence standpoint, like the guy we saw earlier this year, unfortunately by week 17, we don't want to see the guy we saw week seven or whatever, you know, week pick, pick your one earlier this week where he's up and down and we're talking about the resiliency. Like we want to see some growth and, and I don't think we've necessarily seen that growth, which leads us to the final question for the season uh, if you will, is like, if you're Ron and Jacoby's hamstring is fine, Ron left open the opportunity or the possibility to go back to Jacoby. Would you do that? Would you just be like, Hey, no, Sam's Sam, Sam showed that he's playable. Like we should, we should let him finish out the season. Yeah. I don't really know what I would do. I, I don't know. I, this feels like there's an interpersonal like kind of relationship thing happening here. Like, I feel like Jacoby, I feel like in a weird way, Jacoby deserved to start this game. You know, I like, agree with you. Like, I don't know whether that would be enough. Like, Jacoby, let me put it this way: Jacoby deserves to get a start for how incredible right. he's been behind the scenes all year. I don't know whether that's enough to actually let him start because right. there's other factors at play that might be more important, such as getting Howell another game of experience and the you know his third time going against the same opponent twice. Like that's a that's a skill, the divisional opponent thing in the NFL. Um, and like, can he show that he can adjust to a defense that he's seen before in the same way that defenses have adjusted to him? Like I'd probably just start Sam. Um, but I also get the Jacoby thing. Yeah. And I think that's where I'm kind of on the fence is like, does it, does it really matter who starts? Like probably not. Right. It matters like, a relative term here. At this yeah. Point yeah here. Right. But I, and I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying like, yeah. if, if Sam starts like, great he's building experience but kind of to what end right we've just kind of discussed or at least you know relatively high level about how we both think he's probably not gonna be the starter here next year he'll be a backup and getting him more experience is important but is is that value outweigh you know maybe giving giving guys on the team an opportunity to showcase themselves in a way or or kind of position themselves for free agency or help eb maximize the league's view of what he's done here in in terms of his effectiveness of the offense and so those are the types of things that i i kind of think behind the scenes maybe are conversations that are happening where it's like you know i want to make sure that we show that you know jahan's a good football or whatever those things are jahan Jahan was the guy that i was thinking about right because like we make this argument for sam of like well we got to get him the most experience and the the best most meaningful experience 
And I'm like, well, we just talked about how he's probably not the starter. Like Jahan is a former first rounder who right. is 100% going to be a starter for you, whether it's as the two or the three in the slot. Like, right. you know, slot receivers are going to play 80% of the game. Um, so do you value the opportunity for Jahan to have a confidence builder going into the offseason and, and try to get him the ball a little bit more and know that Jacoby's the better option to do that? Like I could, I could certainly make that argument. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, you know, yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like, yes, Sam is a thing, and I want Sam to grow and develop because I like Sam. I, like we've talked about his talent and his upside potentially. But I also want if, if to – if he's inhibiting the offense to a point where you can't get a good evaluation on them, it's kind of the same thing when Ron took over his DC. It went from basically like I was kind of like, man, like they've had a ton of work to do this offseason – They've got all these pieces. No one's playing well. To now, Ron's taken over his DC, and all of a sudden, you're like, "Oh man, like Cody, Cody Barton's playing well. Cleek Hudson's playing well. Oh look at Quan, he's got something." To, you know what I mean? And and all of a sudden, the, the total landscape of the defense totally changed. Is that what's going to happen when Jacoby plays? And all of a sudden, you're like, "Wow, EB was coaching way better. EB had more solutions. Um, Jahan is actually creating more separation than we thought. The O line's playing better than we thought. You know, emphatically, like whatever." And that's the thing. If that's true, which I don't know, there's nothing that I have that says that is true or not true. Um, then I want to see Jacoby play. Basically, is what yeah. it comes down to. And I don't think Jacoby's going to help them win the game necessarily more than Sam. I think it's going to be a tough look either way. But I do think if that's if it's going to help with the evaluation of the offensive roster, then I think that's something you should definitely do. Yeah, if you're Jacoby, this is a there's here's the sinister part. Like if you're Jacoby, do you want to right now? You've got five drives. Meaningful drives. You had one, yeah. six drives total. The last one of which you were just trying to kill the clock. You handed the ball off three times. Uh, and then the Jets got the ball back and won the game. Whoopsies. Uh, but in, in the five drives, you were told, hey, go operate the offense. You've scored five touchdowns. Yeah, You have good. everyone in the building saying how great of a teammate you are, that you were essential, you know, all this stuff. Everything about you right now is as positive as you can make it. Do you want to go out there and play? And by the way, Jacoby represents himself. Um, you know, and so he's he's got to make the decision all by himself. He can't talk to his agent. There's no nefarious agent play here. It is purely <laughs> Jacoby making this decision. Or are you just like, I'm good, man? Like Jake Fromm can put his helmet on again. I'm uh me and my hamstring are gonna get to this offseason healthy and uh I'm I'm good. So, you know, obviously you want him to be healthy, but I've heard some crazy stories from guys that I've known who've played in new england and know him pretty well basically saying that like uh there was one year where he basically had a broken hand broken bone in his throwing hand and everyone was like he should probably sit down but jimmy garoppolo was also hurt was something that was in their opinion was significantly less serious and jacoby played and no one knew about it like so i think jacoby is a is a consummate pro an ultimate teammate it's one of the reasons you brought him in and i think it would take a lot for him to kind of go that more conservative route and basically be like, you know, I'm not going to yeah. do it because I'm going to rest on my resume. I, I think that's, and again, that's why people like him because yeah. he does stuff like that. And I yeah. respect that as a former player and, you know, like there's a business element to it and I want him to look out for himself, but also I don't think at least in my limited interaction with him, I don't, and, and from things I've heard, obviously, I don't think he's wired that way. Yeah. I think the other thing too, that people underrate is you only get so many chances to play. And like Terry right. talked about this after the game, like he's like, right now I, I know what the score is, but I only get so many chances to play. like, I want to go out and I want to play football. And like you as an NFL, and you know this far better than I, like yeah. you don't know how long you get to play NFL football. It is incredibly rare. It's incredibly special. 
and to sit out games. And like, they've talked about this NBA guys with some of the rest management stuff, LeBron, even he's like, yeah. look, I know I'm me, but like, I only get so many chances to do this and I want to play every single night because I want to play NBA basketball. Right. And I think for football, it's even more rare. You have the 17 games for a guy like Jacoby, like there's no guarantees that he's going to be a starter ever. I remember. Um, so to, if he gets a chance, point, like let's go to your point though. Like I remember talking to guys like, you know, your, your Mayo's of the world or your Reed Dowdy's Will Compton, me. And it was like, Oh, I love playing in the preseason because I actually get to play the position I'm here for as opposed to special teams. And I think there is something very intoxicating about that in a way that people have a really hard time understanding. Like I get to play the position that I haven't played for the last 16 weeks because this other guy's been playing. And like, I remember in 2011, um, you know, like there was an injury, I think Cooley and Fred both got hurt and I got to play the last four games. And it was like, I didn't care that we had, you know, we, we were five and whatever we were, we weren't going to make the playoffs. We were totally done, but like, I was frothing at the mouth and so was everybody else because it was a bunch of guys who had been on practice squads and done stuff. So I think there is something to that. It'd be interesting. I, yeah. And I think Jacoby kind of probably feels that same way. Yeah. I mean, he's a different stage in his career and his life, obviously and now than he was with the young guy in new England trying to prove himself, but yeah. something, something to keep in mind for sure for him and others going into week 18. Take the Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson wrapping up our film breakdown. Uh, we will take a look at some of the the, the off, front office structure stuff later in the week that we mentioned earlier in the pod, uh, as well as get you ready for the final game of the regular season on Thursday's show. Uh, in the meantime, Logan, real quick, let's wrap up with some thoughts on the defense. Um, PFF, uh, PFF says everybody was not good. Uh, right. It was it was a rough rough day at the office for Washington uh, on that side of the ball, which I think, you know, in a way it's like, Hey, they held him to 27. Nice job. And that's with two picks from, from Sam, obviously. Um, but I it just, to me, the thing that I think is most important, not, not to go to something negative and, and just feel like we're piling on here, but well, the past defense has gotten better, no blown coverages. And like, you can evaluate a lot of guys, the inability to stop the run this year, I think is so incredibly disappointing, especially given the two guys in the middle that are supposed yeah. to be able to, to kind of put a, a pin in that. Um, and, and I think that ultimately is obviously their, their huge Achilles heel on Sunday is while they did a bunch of other stuff that they haven't done this season way better than they've done it. And it continued to grow since Ron took over as DC, the run defense hasn't gotten any better. And whenever San Francisco wanted to, they were able to get whatever many yards they needed. And, and ultimately like, that's why you don't have a chance realistically in the game. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's ultimately the crux of it, right? Is that, they, uh, the San Fran just, man, they just were awesome running the ball. You know, they just had 11 guys that wanted to impose their will on the defense. And I, I, I do think that while that is a huge negative, that the, the run game has been tough. I go back to the LA Rams game too. That was a tough game in terms of stopping the run. I, I just think like it's good to see them playing hard. You know, there's that fourth and one on the goal line. Like who, I mean, honestly, like if they score, does it really matter? And those guys are fighting their tails off down there with about five minutes left in the game. And I, I just think there's something cool about that. Something that to get those guys motivated, they make a couple third down stops in the red zone, holding the field goals, like great job. And I, and that's just a different group to me in terms of mentality. And again, like I agree with PFF dudes are getting blocked. Dudes are getting pushed off the ball. 
but I didn't feel like there was any quit in anybody. There was no lack of physicality. It's just like, that's a really good team. And that's a really good run game. It's a very nuanced rushing attack. And you saw, and it was something that we knew they were going to have a hard time dealing with. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more positive again. Like I can't point to one person and say this person played really well because they didn't right? like it was a, I think from a coverage standpoint, they, they've improved tremendously, right? And part of that is Ron's playing more conservative coverage structures. He's like, they're out there in a lot of two shell stuff. They're keeping stuff in front of them. Um, but that makes it harder to fit runs. And uh, and this is this is what you got to deal with in the NFL. So I, again, like uh, I agree with you. I think there wasn't like anything dramatic in terms of analysis, like the 49ers are very good at running the football. We knew they were very good at running the football. It was going to be a tough day at the office for that defense. And um, and I thought they did some good things, but I also think we have to be realistic about who that group is at this point of the year. And right. I, right, so. And in fairness to them, like realistic about who San Francisco is. They do this to basically everyone, except for yeah. Baltimore, who is, seems like a, is, they're on another level than literally every other team in the league right now. Which is interesting. They didn't even try to do it to Baltimore, which I went back and watched that game. They came out throwing the ball a ton. Like, it was really interesting to see that, like how they were like, this game, they were like, nope, we're getting back to who we are. We're getting back to this. We're going to take some stuff off of Brock Purdy's plate, as opposed to the Baltimore game where their first five plays were basically in gun and empty, which is kind of a departure from who they normally are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Purdy was awesome in this game, you know, super efficient and not like he did anything super spectacular, but I think it was 22 of 28. Like when, that touchdown to Ayuk was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. The ball placement on that, that, uh, one over Forbes was incredible. Like, I mean, Forbes is in a pretty good spot there and that's, I mean, he, he he did a good job. Yeah. So that was, what I was going to ask you about is like, okay, so Forbes is kind of the guy that we have had circled and watching closely on defense. Um, he was in positions uh, yeah. for a couple. I mean, he loses Ayuk on the on the scramble drill touchdown. That's yeah. not great, but it's also a really tough play. And you you yeah. you know on the fault list, you go uh, defensive line first. Um, like, hey, let's let's get some pressure there. Let's let's not let him create for seven seconds and right. be able to throw the ball all the way back across the field. Um, but how did how did you think Forbes played? You know, I think I've, I've heard some stuff. I think Kaim was not as high on him. Uh, but I come out of the game, and again. My quarterback evaluation standard is very low in, ter- in, in terms of this. Like, are you in good position? Are you playing competitive football? Are you willing to tackle? There were some times where I felt like he wasn't. But I thought the positioning, the competitiveness, the stuff at the catch point was all stuff that we were hoping to see. And um, Brandon Ayuk is playing good football this year. And uh, Emmanuel Forbes was in his pocket. And so that's like the best you can ask for, in my opinion, from this game. Like, and again, talk about a guy that, I, we've mentioned this before. I think we've mentioned this on the pregame show. Imagine if he'd been playing more football earlier right. in the year. And yeah. and it kind of the, the way that they had treated Sam, they had treated Forbes. Like, you're going to take your lumps. We're going to get through this, but you're going to get better. And I think I think this game for him, you know, not being his first game like the last four or five weeks would, would play and probably be a little bit different. Because I, the other thing I look at is, again, I, I like St. Juice. I think he's competitive in terms of being in good phase. But he doesn't have great ball skills and ball awareness and coordination to the ball. And Forbes does. And you can see how that advantage for him is right there. Like the ability to get a finger on that one by Ayuk is a great job. And I and I just want to see him grow and develop. A guy, another guy that I just want to call attention to is Quan. Every yeah. like he's playing in the box, he's playing in the post, he's playing two shell, he's playing Buffalo Nickel. Like he just did so much stuff, and I love the intensity that he plays with. Like I think it was the first play 
um, of the second half or maybe of their second drive of the second half. I don't remember exactly, but you know, he comes down and nails George Kittle and separates the ball from George Kittle. And like that physicality and that energy that he had getting up after that, I think that's, again, that's a piece, you know, we talk about competitive, uh, competitiveness and toughness and every week he's shown that he's got something like that. And so, um, you know, as much as those pieces, those, those picks were kind of maligned, I do think they are pieces that, um, can you can build around potentially because of no, that? I agree, especially what, Quan, where, especially. yeah. I would say for Quan, like real quickly, this is something that we'll talk about more of the offseason and we can flesh out and do some tape review and all that kind of stuff. Like, what is he moving forward? Like, is he this chess piece that you move around a bunch in the way that they are doing here, or would you be like, no, 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 he is excelling at this position and I would put him there for the long term, obviously, depending on who the DC is. Yeah, I mean, it feels like, you know, when, when Forrest come back, when Percy comes back, you've got two safeties that I think are trending in the right direction. You know, I think Percy had some issues earlier this year. So I think you feel good about that, Cam, obviously. So I think that Buffalo nickel spot feels like a home for him. Again, just because he's way more – he's he was physical. I knew that in college, but he's way more physical in the NFL than I thought he would be. And so I think he accommodates that position really nicely. He draws tough coverage matchups, like he covers – Kittle one-on-one in the game. He covers, covers Debo Samuel one-on-one. And to have a guy who can fit runs, be physical, but also cover that way, I think that's a pretty good spot for him. And now we'll see how that develops over the course of the offseason and, and with the new defensive staff and what they want their identity to be. But, I again, he's not graded perfectly by PFF's metrics, but he's definitely a guy that you're like, wow, like he flashes to me each and every time that they're playing football, which, which is exciting. And, again, we, this conversation started with Forbes, and I think Forbes has done a – a nice job did a fine job in the game and showed some of the stuff that makes him the first pick in the draft. But I, uh, my, my one criticism, I just wish he played more football. Yeah. Um, which is something we talked about on the post game for whatever it's worth. Quan was PFF second graded or second best player uh, for the commanders on Sunday. Christian Holmes actually was the first before he obviously exited that scary concussion all right that is our show for today when we return it will be uh for the thursday pod whatever that looks like this week i don't know how much time we spend uh previewing cowboys and commanders but uh, as mentioned we will do some of the the front office structure stuff and kind of you know who who on some of these lists could be in what position because i actually think as much as we talk about gm and coach i think we're looking at three hires not two um, so a team president as well, and kind of how that infiltrates uh, the the organizational philosophy, yada yada. So we can explain that uh, much more than a yada yada uh, throwaway on Thursday. Uh, until then, have a great week. I'll see you on the radio, Logan. I'll see you on Command Center over on the Commanders YouTube page, and make sure you follow him on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson eighty two. Subscribe wherever you are watching or listening right now if you have not, because uh, you're gonna have to pick up your phone and go to the next podcast anyway. See you.